You are listening to Episode 1 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. Since this is the inaugural episode of Stoicism on Fire, it would be natural for you, the listener, to wonder what this podcast is about. Obviously, it's about Stoicism. But what is Stoicism on Fire? As the introduction states, the podcast is about Stoicism as a philosophical way of life, which includes a rational form of spirituality. That form of Stoicism has become known in modern times as traditional Stoicism. I say in modern times because here at the beginning of the 21st century, when someone refers to Stoicism, they could mean one of several things. They could be referring to ancient Stoicism, a 500-year period from about 300 years before the Common Era to about 200 years into our Common Era, during which the famous Stoa existed in both ancient Greece and in Rome. We don't have many surviving texts from that period of time, but what we do have, thanks to a group of dedicated scholars in the 20th century, we have a lot of commentary, a lot of scholarship exegesis of those texts, which allows us as moderns, even those of us who don't read Greek and don't read Latin and don't have a sound grounding in Hellenistic times to understand the culture and interpret those texts, they bring to us the commentaries that allow us to reach back and understand what the ancient Stoics meant by their version of philosophy. In modern times, someone also might be referring to Neo-Stoicism, which was a movement in the 16th and 17th century. It was a revival of Stoicism in a form that was compatible with Christianity. Likewise, they could mean traditional Stoicism, which grew out of Eric Weigart's creation of the New Stoa in 1996 and has been an attempt to remain as close as possible to the ancient form and practice of Stoicism to to the degree that that is possible for a modern. And then finally, they could mean modern Stoicism, which finds its roots in Lawrence Becker's book, A New Stoicism, published in 1998. That is an attempt to revive Stoicism in a secular form, to remove any of the teleology and uh, religious or spiritual aspects of Stoicism from the ethics. So who might be interested in Stoicism on fire? Well, frankly, anybody that's interested in Stoicism as a practice, as a philosophical way of life, will benefit from listening to the podcast because it is an attempt to stay as close as possible to the ancient form of Stoicism. Now, what do I mean by as close as possible? I mean, certainly there are some things that have to be changed in Stoicism. We're 21st century thinkers. There are some things that have been proven wrong about Stoicism, and those need to be removed. However, it is important for us to ask, what is necessary for us to remove, as opposed to what do my, what do the biases of my pre-existing worldview want me to remove from Stoicism? It's two different ways of coming to Stoicism, to the ancient Stoa. The truth is this, we all come to Stoicism with a pre-existing worldview. The question is, are we going to approach Stoicism as a holistic philosophy and consider the worldview that they proposed, or are we going to come with our pre-existing worldview and an unwillingness to even consider the Stoic alternative? I would argue that both of those are, are viable as long as we're honest with ourselves about what we are doing. 
However, I want to be very clear to the listeners. The purpose of traditional Stoicism and this podcast is to remain as close as reasonably possible to the theory and practice of the ancient Stoa. Which means we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. A conception of reality that includes a divine creative fire that is found in the ancient Stoa is a part of traditional Stoicism. And that's where we get the name Stoicism on Fire. I fully realize that I've just argued that traditional Stoicism is an attempt to remain as close as reasonably possible to the beliefs and practices of the ancient Stoa. I also fully realize that in the 21st century, people are going to disagree about what is reasonable to practice in reference to ancient Stoicism. People come from a variety of different worldviews, and more than likely people are going to hold on to those worldviews in their practice of Stoicism. Therefore, I'm in full support of attempts to create new syncretisms of Stoicism to support different worldviews, like Christianity or atheism, neither of which are fully compatible with Stoicism, but Stoicism can be adapted to match those worldviews, to help support those worldviews. I don't think anybody denies that. That's what philosophy is all about. Philosophy changes over time. Nevertheless, my position is that it is unreasonable to assume, as many modern atheists do, that we automatically have to abandon the entire worldview of the ancient Stoa and start from a secular perspective in creating a version of Stoicism that is reasonable for moderns. And I think we need to step back and ask, first of all, most importantly, what was ancient Stoicism? And then from there, we can open up a probably a variety of, of different alternatives for moderns. The argument of traditional Stoicism is simply that one of those alternatives for moderns should include the basic fundamental beliefs of the ancient Stoics, that the cosmos is divine, that it is rational, that it is ordered, and that we have a source of, for our human consciousness and intelligence, which is not the modern equivalent of the Epicurean universe of the randomness that the Stoics opposed so strongly. In other words, a form of Stoicism that in, still includes the deeply spiritual sense of the cosmos that the ancient Stoics had. And that is quite different from what is being offered by modern Stoicism, but there's no reason why it cannot remain an alternative in modern times. Before anyone can talk about any version of Stoicism, it's necessary to understand what the ancients meant by Stoicism. That's where we get the word. It doesn't make any sense to talk about Stoicism without a grounding in what the Stoics themselves actually taught during that 500-year period between 300 BCE and 200 CE. Anyone who goes back and looks at the ancient Stoa and studies it in detail, we'll find that within the first 100 years of the Stoa, the doctrines were pretty settled between Zeno, his immediate successor, Cleanthes, and then the third successor, Chrysippus. We have the doctrines formally codified, mostly by Chrysippus, who was the person most responsible for codifying and defending Stoic doctrines from the other schools that were arguing against Stoicism at that time. It's been said that if there were no Chrysippus, there would be no Stoa. Now, what do we see when we go back and look at ancient Stoicism? Well, first, we see that it was a very holistic philosophy. It was designed to be that. The Stoics, more than any other 
Hellenistic philosophy or ancient philosophy attempted to create a system, a holistic system, which was comprised of logic, physics, and ethics. Now, that wasn't unique because all of the schools had taught logic, physics, and ethics. But what the Stoics attempted to do, which was different, was to integrate those three to a degree that they argued they could not be separated, that if you separated them, you destroyed the whole system. To make that argument, they offered three similes, an egg, an animal, and an orchard. And they likened the parts of Stoic philosophy to the parts of those entities. For the egg, the logic was the shell, ethics was the egg white, and physics was the yolk. For the animal, logic was the bones and sinews, ethics was the fleshy parts, and physics was the soul. For the orchard, logic was the fence, ethics was the fruit, and physics was the soil or the trees. What is very telling is the objects that the Stoics used for these metaphors. An egg, an animal, and an orchard. You'll notice that none of these are constructed items. They're not man-made items. They're not buildings. They're not tools. They are organic organisms that are living entities. Which further emphasizes the idea that these items are not to be deconstructed. We can't pull a block out, remove a beam, or anything like that. These are living organisms. And if you remove any of these parts from a living organism, the organism is no longer living. And that is precisely the point that the ancient Stoics were trying to make with regard to their philosophy. If you remove any of the parts, any of the pieces that build up their holistic system, the system as a whole no longer exists and you take the life out of the system, literally. I want to play for you a portion of another podcast, which comes from Peter Adamson of King's College London. The podcast is called The History of Philosophy Without Any Gaps, and I would strongly encourage my listeners to listen to that entire podcast. The piece I'm going to play is from an interview with a renowned scholar of of ancient philosophy in general, but in particular Stoicism by the name of David Sedley. It's podcast number 64, and I will provide links in my show notes to get to that podcast. But equally important is within this voluminous number of podcasts that he is creating, and he's not done yet. He's trying to go from the beginning to the end of philosophy, which is a monumental task. But within there, episodes number 60 through 68 deal specifically with Stoicism. And I would strongly encourage you to go listen to all of those, all nine of them, they're all great. Now, what you're going to hear in this interview with David Sedley is Peter Adamson, who's not a specialist in Stoicism, asks a very interesting question. He says, when we look back in history at these Stoics, what we see is we see a lot of disagreement amongst them. Do we even have the right to label this as Stoicism? Is is there any commonality here? Or is it just a bunch of eclectic thinkers that we've it now put the the label of Stoic or Stoicism onto. And I want you to listen closely, listen to David Sedley's response, and listen to what he breaks down as the fundamental doctrines of Stoicism. In the case of Stoicism, it seems that they differ from each other. So there's disagreement within the school, at least in terms of emphasis and to some extent in terms of doctrine. So what actually allows us to say that this is a single school as opposed to just a bunch of different people who we retrospectively call Stoics? 
Right. Well, that's actually quite a, a complex question because there are certain features which we think of as characteristic of the Stoics, which they in fact share with all the schools in their own day. One example is that by contrast with Plato, for whom the ultimate reality is at an immaterial and transcendent level, the Stoics think that fundamentally what there is is body and they've got that in common with a few adjustments with the epicureans it's not really in dispute so that's not a defining feature or if if you like it's a defining feature of the age rather than of the school then equally and you were implying this in your question there are some things on which the stoics didn't even agree with each other for example some Stoics thought that the world ended in a periodic conflagration and started again. There are other Stoics. Where everything turns into fire. Exactly. Everything, that's right. There were other Stoics who, who denied that. So th- there were points which weren't really at stake when it came to, to school membership or school orthodoxy. But there were defining points of agreement. There were points on which you really had to um, sign on the dotted line if you were going to be a Stoic. And let's just think of some of those. Well, in physics... To be a Stoic was to believe that the world is a supremely rational, good, and indeed divine organism. That is a theory held by no other school at the time, Um, and it's a a point on which there's no significant disagreement. Even though that is something they would agree with Plato about. Uh, That's right, indeed. In a sense, it's a development out of their reading of Plato's time years, so it's not entirely novel doctrine. But in their day, they proclaim that position and they're in direct opposition to the Epicureans who take the absolute opposite position. The world is um, an unorganised or self-organising but irrationally structured collection of atoms, um, any values are ones which have come out of it in an unplanned way. So one of the ways that their belief in the rationality of the world marks them off as a distinctive school is that it puts them in perfect antithesis to the main rival school, the, um, the Epicureans. In epistemology, all Stoics agreed that there is a kind of infallible grasp, which they call the cognitive or cataleptic impression, although there were many variations on how that could best be defended against sceptical attacks, it remained an article of faith. And most important of all, and this really was the defining feature for any Stoic, in ethics, you could not be a Stoic without holding that only one thing is good, namely virtue, and a so-called good, conventional goods like wealth and health, um, are in fact morally indifferent. They don't make your life any better or happier when you've got them. Although, According to most Stoics, there are still reasons for pursuing them, but they, these are instrumental reasons rather than ways of actually fulfilling your own goal. So that's uh, that, that really is ultimately, in all ages, the indispensable component of Stoicism. So what is David Sedley saying here? He's saying that in ancient times, there were three points upon which you were necessarily going to have to agree if you were going to be a, a member of the Stoa and recognized as a Stoic. First, you were going to believe that the world was a supremely rational, good, and divine organism. Second, now it's the area of physics, in epistemology, which falls under the larger umbrella of logic, you are going to have to believe in an infallible grasp, the, the ability to attain some form of knowledge via our sense perceptions. And then finally, in ethics, that virtue was the only good. Now what's interesting is if you pick up any scholarly work about Stoicism, you're going to find that there's basic agreement that these are the three fields of Stoicism. And Stoicism is described by all credible scholars of Stoicism in basically the same way. There's not a lot of disagreement over these fundamental doctrines, really none at all amongst the the scholars. Now, they disagree about a lot of things. Some of that disagreement is the result of the fact that we have so few texts, we have so little available 
to us, or to them, I should say, to help them understand exactly what the Stoics meant. But you will always see a rendition of logic, physics, and ethics, and what those mean. The reason for drawing those points out is that if we're going to have a discussion about Stoicism in modern times, we have to have a starting place. We have to have a point where we can say, well, that is what Stoicism was. So when we're talking about Stoicism in modern times, we have to have agreement about what Stoicism was in ancient times. If we can't have that agreement, there's no point in even having any further discussion because we can turn Stoicism into whatever we want it to be. There are no boundaries. Uh, Any authority works. And we can just do what my friend Kevin Patrick Jr. says, which is bring the box of things that we love to Stoicism and then slap a label on the side that says Stoicism. To be honest with ourselves, we shouldn't do that. It's perfectly reasonable for us to modify Stoicism in modern times if we want to adapt it to a particular worldview. But we need to be honest about what we're doing. And the honesty begins with an agreement about what ancient Stoicism was. There should be no fundamental disagreement amongst any of the modern Stoics, no matter what label we put on ourselves, about what the fundamental doctrines of the ancient Stoa were. Thank you for listening to the Stoicism on Fire podcast. If you're interested in this ancient practice of Stoicism, you'll find plenty of resources at www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you're interested in a social media environment where this form of Stoicism is being discussed, please join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on iTunes. That helps other people find this podcast and get introduced to the ancient spiritual practice of the Stoics. If you have feedback for me or a great podcast idea, please send me an email at chris, that's C-H-R-I-S, at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you'll continue exploring traditional Stoicism where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire.